Welcome to Not-So-Standard Deviations. This is episode 81, and I'm Roger Peng from the Johns Hopkins Data Science Lab, and I'm here with Hilary Parker of Stitch Fix. In this episode, we're going to talk about the book Getting to Yes uh, and how it applies to the world of data analysis. Uh, we're also going to talk about some breaking changes in the latest version of R, uh, sampling and as it applies to data science, and just a little bit of sports talk. You got a little, um, you got a little pushback. Uh, I did, yeah. <laughs> from your... Analysis of uh, I got yeah I got lots of pushback, <laughs> pushback, pushback at home, pushback from Twitter followers. It was coming <laughs> from all directions. Of, yeah, exactly. Gosh, did we talk about this previously or no? About what? Like, about like the pushback? I don't think so. No, no, I feel no. Because like that said was that. Yeah, yeah. Because you talked about the uh, the uh, ana- the whole like analysis thing in the last episode for the for the Houston Rockets. That was just in the last episode, and so since then there's been some. Uh, Twitter action in response to your comments. Yeah, I guess so. I guess the biggest thing that people were upset about is that this uh, Daryl Morey um, is like, so, so that's the GM of the Rockets, the general manager of the Rockets. He runs this, he like started and runs this Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. And so like, he's like a beloved figure in the analytics world like the sports analytic world and you just so trashed him basically i did yeah i think i think i may have gone a little too far saying that the rockets were like the trump of basketball yeah i think some people took note to that comment <laughs> yeah <laughs> i get it i will say that there's the whole like truthiness i don't know like uh oh <laughs> yeah i'm glad that they after after like the game that i was talking about the nba came in and was just like we talked about this last time the nba came in and was just like okay no more doubting the refs for this series right. please like they shut like, it down <laughs> yeah they shut it down like super hard and so i still stand by the fact that that is so unfun as a basketball watcher um and it's like it's technically hacking the statistics like where you know you're upping your average points per possession slightly if you're drawing fouls but it's just like so against the spirit of the game and more than that like hopefully they change rules to prevent it more so like it's not even like it'll last that long um although it's kind of hard to change rules for it because it's like how do you tell the difference between like a drawn foul (laughs) like like when is it too far to draw a foul but (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, but I don't know. Also, it's like, is it really like a lot of people were saying that this Daryl Morey guy, like in some ways the Rockets are like, yeah, analytics run amok in some ways where it's like, if anything, it's taking empiricism too far um, where they are just like, like putting, putting, like doing the money ball of basketball too far where it's like, okay, if we like, if we like maximize for this KPI of fouls, then we'll do better. But I don't know. I was hearing from sports fan at home that like James Harden was doing this drawing foul thing well before he joined the Rockets. And so it's kind of like, it's not like it was necessarily the analytics that was driving this force (laughs) within the team because the players were doing it before. So I don't know. But the the thing I want to also shout out is that uh, Mara Averick literally sent me a book. Oh my God. (laughs) So, like, the real lesson here is complain about the Rockets and you get free stuff. So, she, I think she just earned the title of number one super fan. Oh, yeah. No. She was, <laughs> it's, it's a great book, though. So, it's this book called uh, 
Sprawl Ball by Kirk Goldsberry. And it's like gorgeous. I mean, they have these great illustrations and these great data visualizations. And like, it's very narrative driven where it's talking about, you know, like, here's how this person plays. And here's how, you know, this, here's how the sport changed. Like, I guess in the 90s, I think it was the 90s, like, the it was much harder like basketball was a lot rougher um because i don't know they just didn't call fouls as often so michael jordan was just like constantly being fouled or like it was just it was just like rough you know in some ways it makes him seem even better because he was like fouled so much and anyway so there's just a lot it was a really good book so i'm like very grateful to her for sending that Had a lot of fun reading that, like, yeah. But everyone in the household has enjoyed it so far, including the cat. <laughs> she sat on it a few times. Kept so. it warm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a new surface. <laughs> I have a sense that the people who objected to your initial analysis in the last episode will not necessarily be mollified by what yeah. you've talked about I today. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it now. But you know what? Because the Warriors won that series. <laughs> right. Yeah. What were you going to say? I'm just going to, I was just going to say that's just life. It is life. I mean, the sports is, it's like people who are otherwise normal and non judgmental become monsters when watching sports. It's like, it's like you're constantly, at least the people I watch sports with are like constantly like, you can't do that. You can't miss your free throws. Like, oh, that was so stupid. Like, it's like you would never give someone feedback like that in person. Well, I, I, Maybe you would. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. You're right. But it does bring out like the, you know, it's like simulated war or whatever. Yeah, it it's truly, like, it takes people to extremes, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let's just say that it's like a sad day. Like people are genuinely depressed in my household when the Warriors lose. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, I guess one person. <laughs> yeah, a significant percentage of the people in your house. Exactly. Yeah. No, and it is, it's genuinely fun when they win. Like it's anyway, yeah. They just swept the last series, so that was exciting. Oh, okay. All right. So now yeah, your, all your sports references require me to put the episode out as quickly as possible. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We had that realization last yeah. time. <laughs> it's like, oh, this going to sound so dated. Well, now you have eight days or something because because the Warriors swept and then the other side is already, they're at two and two right uh, now. They got some time off. Exactly. Yeah. They're getting like a huge amount of time off, which is great because they got like super beat up early against the Rockets. So Right. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I have, I, you know, your whole discussion of basketball got me thinking a little bit about how it relates to data analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, so anyway, bear with me for a second. Um, okay. I, I feel like in sports, you know, in gen- in all sports, well, yeah, yeah, in all sports, there's there's kind of a two. There's two major aspects. There's kind of like one that's like, do you have the skills to even claim to be a member of that sport right yeah right but a that, minimum viable player right if you will. like if you say yeah. i play basketball like that requires that kind of conjures that you have a certain set of skills right mm-hmm. but then like whether you're good or not it can't be determined until you like play someone right right yeah uh, so like you could be great you could have amazing skills but like what we can't really determine whether you're a great basketball player unless you actually play against someone <laughs> right right yeah yeah there's like um yes you have to well 
And again, this goes to my objection to the like detailed analysis of what would have happened in the game had the refs been calling it more fair from the Rockets of like, oh, well, we would have had this like 1.1 point at this possession if that foul had been called. Like that I can't because, yeah, you got to let the game get played. Like a lot of unexpected stuff happens. Well, I guess my only thinking was that like if you're like a data analyst, right? Like, in order to call yourself a data analyst, you have to have a certain set of skills. Right. Right. And so that's step one. But then step two is really, like, you have to prepare a data analysis and, like, essentially present it to someone and they have to kind of accept it, right? Yeah. Um, and Interesting. And until you do that, it's, like, it's hard to claim that you're a great data analyst, I think. <laughs> yeah. Does that yeah. work for you? I don't know. No. I mean, I see it's, like, it's fundamentally relational is what you're saying. Yeah, well, it's like, like yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what the word is. It's like... Uh, it's, it's combat, is what you're saying. <laughs> I would say that's, that's not... Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, in this case, it's not about winning or losing. And, but, um, but it is about, like, there is something kind of um, external that has to be, I guess, yeah. to it. But There's, like, essentially a binary outcome. Like, did the person accept it or not? And there's nuance, like were the refs fair, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. There's kind of like, like a whole question about the rules of the game, I guess. But um, Right. Yeah. So you can kind of like question that. Because I think you can, I think you can easily be like, that person's a great analyst and they're just at a company that is like the, the play, the, the field is not fair or whatever. Like they're working with people who actually don't want any input from them. But I guess... It's like, oh, they are a great analyst, but would be like previous experience working with fair people, you know? Right. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I buy it. Like, okay. I'll, maybe I'll work on it a little bit. I'll own it a little <laughs> Before the blog post. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, you're what you just, you just mentioned about the whole analysis of kind of like what would have happened. Yeah. You know, it reminded me, actually, you know, in cricket, um, I learned this uh, in Australia. In cricket, you know, if sometimes a game doesn't end or a match doesn't end because of, I don't know, weather or whatever. And in, in certain circumstances, if that's the case, they actually declare a winner mm, based, based on... on a model. Uh, I don't <laughs> like it. Well, yeah. And it's like a model that someone developed at like, uh, I can't, somewhere in Australia. I can't remember which university. And it's basically, you know... My guess is that it's a big regression model. They take a bunch of inputs and they say, like, who would have won? Right. And then yeah. they declare that team the winner. <laughs> it, I blew my mind when I heard about this. <laughs> that's 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 a that's an affront to the very definition of sports, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> I, I think I think many people would say that cricket is an affront to the <laughs> definition of sports. <laughs> but to be fair, let me just let me make clear that I actually love cricket. I enjoy it. But Oh um, really? Yeah. Wow. But, uh, but you I consider could... yourself not a sports fan in general. So. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so, so take that with a grain of salt, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. That's evidence for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I hate that because, honestly, I think what I'm – because I so I was into basketball when I was a kid, and that was – I was playing basketball, so I think it was kind of fun. Like, I've always been a bigger fan of sports that I could play myself, you know? Right. Um, and then the – but now as an adult watching basketball, I mean, it is like – it is truly a thing to behold, like, the psychology of the people doing it, you know? Because mm -hmm. it's just – it's such an extreme circumstance. And you see, like, there was this game – I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but there was a game – 
um, in, gosh, I think it was the first round uh, with the Spurs. I think it was the Spurs where like they were, it, it, it was like a younger team and it was the last possession and it's just kind of like accepted that at the point they were at, they were like down by a little bit and you just start fouling. Like it's just, okay, start fouling, fouling. Cause like maybe they'll miss a free throw and then you rebound and you get a three and like, right. you and know, you stop the, the clock. Yeah, exactly. But, like, they just... The people froze. And, like, the coach, you could see him just being, like, literally, like, screaming and pointing, like, foul, foul. Like, and the people just were frozen. Like, they just didn't do it. And it's, like, these are people who have been playing basketball their whole lives. Right. Like, there's no question that they knew intellectually to do that in that moment. But it's just, like, I think that just the pressure and it's, like, this big... Yeah. Like, it's just sort of interesting to see that stuff play out and, like... You know, most of us just don't get a chance to view humans in extreme conditions. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something very zen about it because, like, you hear them so much talking about living in the moment, and like, you know, it's just, it's like, who knows how they get there all the time? And there's kind of, I read this like hilarious article about Clay Thompson, and he's just like, <laughs> he sounds like he's like 15 at heart, <laughs> just like kind of like he like he literally travels with like a video game console. So that he can play, like he'd like invite friends to games, and he'd be like, "Yeah, you want to come to the hotel and we can like play video games." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that's hilarious. Like <laughs> he's like either wants to be like in the moment playing basketball or like very much not in the moment. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, like totally out. Exactly, like checked out, not doing stuff with the team, just like playing. Anyway, um, it's a. Uh, I, I don't know if it should be of concern. You know how much. Oh, the podcast is sports talk now. It's like a, I know it's a dramatic yeah, shift. Had... <laughs> yeah. Well, at least people are. It's like they're taking the journey with us, or at least with me. Of like, you know, I have this like seismic event of like sports being on in my apartment, a, a infinity percent more than they used to be. Not that maybe a thousand percent because I would watch like the finals or something, but now I'm exposed to it so much more, and so I'm like thinking about it, like processing. <laughs> you know yeah. like hearing about the like extremely complex like kpis that they have to construct like the feature engineering of basketball <laughs> anyway it's interesting but this book does a good job of like laying out the sprawl ball one so. okay yeah i think even non non fans would enjoy it just from like a kind of I don't know. Like, it's a good, like, weaving together of anal- analysis, but also context and everything. So. Okay. Is it like Moneyball 2.0? Basically, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a different sport, though, so. Yeah, it's, no, and it's, like, it's not about, like, ha- it's just more like a, it's more like a, you know, a survey of the land. Oh, okay, the, okay. Yeah, so. Not like, here's how to make the Rockets win. That's right. Daryl Morey, <laughs> yeah. Um. So... Before we get to, before we get to yes, <laughs> before we get to the book getting to yes, I, I have one. I need to. I have a. I need to pick some. Pick a beef. What is the phrase? I need. I have a beef with you. I guess. Okay, so you have a beef with me. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember la- in the last episode? I think it was where you promised me that R would never have any breaking changes. I think it was a blood oath that you took. Actually, I took that. You promised me. <laughs> I have no control. How can I process? <laughs> I regret making that promise because I have absolutely no so our, way of enforcing it. R three point six point came out, and it has a breaking change. Oh, 
They decided to change the way that the random number generator works so that the sample function <laughs> does not produce the same results. Oh my god, that's a big deal. Yeah, wow. you're telling me. <laughs> wow. No, you couldn't see my face, but it was like the big like surprise, like <laughs> open jaw, large I'll, eyes. I'll make sure to get the uh, right emoji in the show notes. Um, <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, I mean, so, not horrible, but just like, oh my gosh. No, it's not horrible because they, they, had, they had to do that in order to fix a bug. Um, but uh, what happened is so like in my online courses, I do all these like randomized kind of homework problems. And um, if they follow the code and they set the seed, you know, they should get a certain output. But, of course, all that changed. <laughs> oh, my God. So I had to, like, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. I just had to revise. I just had to, you had to set a very specific, basically, you had to set the random number generator to be a very specific thing. Um, meaning the version that existed prior to 3.6.0. I was about to say, yeah. So did you opt to try to pin it to a previous version or? That's basically what I, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. No, that's a big deal. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of confused people out there. Like... <laughs> I'm not, I don't actually blame you. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I do feel, you know, I feel like well, I got. I feel, I feel betrayed. No, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not fair. I, no, I mean, I trust that group. You know, that's just that is a. There should have been like a big dis, like a, some sort of huge thing that goes out to everyone of like, like the comms here need to be very strong. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> even if it had been, I don't know if I would have noticed. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You have to so, be like paying attention to the comms and then. Right. Exactly. So anyway, I bet I bet a ton of people are going to be pulling out their hair. Like, I wonder how many. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, it's an esoteric problem to some degree because how many people even set seeds. But I can't imagine there won't be at least one Stack Overflow post of like I can't tell what happened and like. Well, it only affects the sample. Like if you, um, it basically affects the kind of sampling of essentially integers. It doesn't affect like everything. So yeah, I think if oh, you just, just integers. I think so. Yeah. So only very like a subset of the random number generation process, which of course. Yeah, but like if you if you if you like sample, I wonder if that the. Um, Sample frac <laughs> or sample n from dplyr. Surely it uses that function on the back end. And so oh, if, yeah, it, yeah. If you're sampling on row number, which I do all the time, like that, um, that will change. Yeah, yeah, interesting. But I mean, I, that's only if you're looking for a very specific combination of rows to always be reproduce, you know? Like, right. But I always set the seed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should explain to people like setting the seed is essentially like I don't know, the the random number generators are deterministic, meaning that like if you run it, the seed. I don't know. I always think about this as like there used to be these big books of random numbers that you would buy, and then setting the seed would be like choosing the page, right? The page where you start, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like the position you could whatever you call it, and so. You know, and like, I don't know, I remember hearing it's just like, take the book and like throw it on the ground and see what page it opens to. Right. <laughs> Although that's like highly biased. Anyway. That's not, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that, anyway, so you do, so like essentially if you start on the same page, you get the same numbers. And so it's the same thing with setting the seed where you get the same numbers coming out of a, you know, random, quote unquote, random process. Right. It's like the best you can do, right? Interestingly, there was a little discussion on Twitter about setting the seed, like the value of setting the seed. 
Um, and the argument being that why bother setting the seed? Because if you have, if you're like working on a procedure that depends on the exact seed, then like, it's not great. Um, right. I agree with that. It's more just like reproducibility. Like if you want, I mean, and even then, if you totally create a dynamic document where the results are updated as the data is updated, then it doesn't matter as much, but it's just like a sanity check. I I just always do it. I don't know. I, I, I do it because, like, first of all, there's no real downside. <laughs> and second of all, I think it's essential for debugging. That's that's the main reason. That I agree with you. It's like, and you kind of get the little random numbers floating in your head of like, oh, yeah, like this is supposed to be 5.2216. And like, I see a different one. So did something happen in my code where I was... You know, I'm not using the value I thought I was. Yeah. yeah, like I feel like when you're debugging, you want to control all the sources of variation, and this is a super easy one to control. So, right, yeah. So, so to change that means that a lot of people will be debugging stuff that actually isn't a bug. Uh, potentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it'll be like, I mean, this is where having reproducible workflow pays in spades, because like. If you've like, if you have it and you're updating it and like, I don't know, like if you have copy pasted into a PowerPoint or something, then it's going to be like, why are these numbers all different? And then you're recopy pasting. It's like, oh. Well, the issue here is actually setting the, the problem. The big problem is that setting the seed doesn't do anything because it, they, it, I think, I find many people don't know that you can actually specify which random number generator to use. Um, and if you just set the seed, then you're using the default. Um, but the default can change, right? So interesting. So now I'm going to start setting the default, right? There's well, there's a function. So there's a function called RNG kind, uh, which 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 specifies which random number generator like algorithm to use. Um, and then there's another function called RN, uh, RNG version, I think, mm. which says like use the random number generator associated with like R version three point five point three or something like that. Right. Okay, so they log it all in like the current. Right. So you can always go backwards, right? Yeah. Um, and so that. But now you're teaching everyone on Coursera to use. Like, how many people on Coursera are like copy pasting the code from your homeworks into their work? And so you're like proliferating the buggy version. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're not taking the time to update your tutorials, Roger. What, what, are you, what are you trying to say? I think you should take the time to update your tutorial. Well, I, to be honest, like my personally never set the random number generator algorithm. Like I never use those functions. And are you are you saying that like I should learn my lesson and just do that? Uh, no, I'm saying because now in order to make your stuff backwards compatible, aren't you now pinning it to certain versions? Yes. So it's like. People are gonna people taking your course will think that that's like a good thing to do. Okay. And, and they might pin to the version that you're saying to pin to. Like forever. Like, yeah, and it's like that one is actually the buggy one. All right. Because, I, because I, it changed. I yeah. hadn't quite thought this through. As it turns out, <laughs> you just did like you're. This is like classic engineer move where you did the fastest solution with the least amount of work. <laughs> I sense that I'm being criticized here. <laughs> No, I'm just being like a basketball spectator right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to take it personally. So. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. There are pros and cons to every approach. I'm just, I'm just like adamantly pointing out the cons. 
And like, <laughs> it was, it was weird. you're the one reading the judgment. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to gaslight you. Yeah, I think I there did was some judgment. I did have a. I try what I try to remember if I wrote a comment in there. In I don't think I did though. So all right, maybe I'll write a comment. Write a comment. If you write a comment that says "Don't do this," like, <laughs> d- <laughs> then it's just a mixed message. In the few, like right? for your own things. That's very yeah yeah, but that's you being vulnerable. Roger and showing everyone that you well, know you too have your you know you don't always do what's perfect sometimes you just do what's fastest well okay there is actually a this does raise a question though about whether you should whether you should set the random number generator version because like let's say like like in general is that a good idea yeah because suppose like you do it like, like I set it to 3.6.0 which is the latest version right Mm-hmm. And then, like in the future, they discover a bug and they fix it. Yeah. Um. Then it was right before, but now it's wrong, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't. Well, okay. It's like, are you optimizing for reproducibility or are you optimizing for correctness? Yeah. I mean, that's the question. Uh, yeah. So. And I don't know. I have no answers. <laughs> As always, we have yeah. neither of us have any answers. <laughs> no answers ever. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of um, the sampling in general, <laughs> I have so I just want to get, make a general comment. I can't get into the specifics here, but um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I've always I think it's interesting when you t- to talk to people who are like especially who work with like big data or data science, or whatever. Um, I find that whenever I bring up the topic of sampling, like minds are blown. Oh, really? Why? Yeah. I think because I feel like the a lot of the data science mindset, it's kind of like looking at the problem from two different angles. You know, it's like the data science mindset, I feel like, is often here is a data set, and the data set is fixed. Uh, and um, I need to figure out a way to use the data set, you know, to answer a question, whatever, right? And, and I can't make changes to the data. So if I'm going to make any changes, I'm going to change, like, algorithms or procedures hmm. right yeah interesting whereas i feel like statisticians kind of they do the reverse they're like i have a set of procedures <laughs> yeah. and um and i'm going to make the data fit so if i have to sample the data then so yeah. be it right yeah yeah i'm pro sampling i mean yeah maybe that's going to be our biggest contribution is to like teach everyone about sampling i mean almost surely people have used it behind the scenes without knowing it like, po- yeah i mean possibly but i think i i like i was had to do this analysis and it was like a huge data set and, and like i was doing it on my laptop and didn't really have the memory to deal with it in r so i took like a i took like a five percent sample random sample from the data and i just did and i made a plot and i told people that and they were like blown away <laughs> they're like they're like never in a million years would i have thought to do that <laughs> oh that's so funny yeah, yeah i just think the Wait, perspective what people uh, what people uh, I, i'd rather not say but <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious it wasn't anyone here no. at hopkins so yeah um, yeah well i guess what i mean is like when you say data science do you mean data scientists working in tech yes yeah no i can understand that because it's like I mean, I actually, I don't know that it's like, oh, here's my procedures. Like, data scientists are really quick to be like, ooh, I need to spin up this infrastructure to do this. or You know what I mean? Like, it's, um, there are there is a set of procedures in terms of the technical, like the infrastructure to perform technical tasks. Uh-huh. And so people are really quick to be like, oh, I guess I need to, like, you know, use Spark for this or whatever. Like, what big data tool can deal with this problem? Okay. Rather than, rather than like, looking at the 
you know, like, does the confidence interval really need to be that small for this application? I just, I just feel like, you know, there's a sense, some people have, there, I, I get a sense from some people that, you know, the data are kind of, you know, the data can't be touched in a sense, right? Like, we, ha first of all, we spent, maybe we spent a lot of money to get this data or whatever. And, uh, and it's like, and the data represents the truth. And so, like, we need to do whatever we can to use all of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> I remember telling people to do that at Etsy. So sampling, less so at yeah, yeah, less so at Stitch Mix only because we are working with smaller data sets. At least my team is because we're looking at like human entered answers right. to questions. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, sampling's great. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I just it's always uh, refreshing to get an outside perspective. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'll keep my eyes peeled for that behavior because yeah. I can I can see why. But yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, it's not usually like that expensive to have acquired the data. If it's like web clicks, it's like pretty easy. Yeah, I guess. I guess what's expensive is storing it. Yeah, maybe yeah. expensive is maybe not the, not the right word, but um, mm -hmm. it's more like <laughs> I guess I I wonder if there's another sense in which it's like. If I use all the data, then I'm like doing big data. But if I'm sampling the data, then I'm just a statistician. Then I'm just a statistician. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and that's why I think the infrastructure thing, because there's a certain like joy in building out the infrastructure. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, big data problems. Right, yeah. and if you have no that need I, for that, that I do not share. Yeah, <laughs> I would so much rather work on my laptop or like maybe like a cloud instance than like spin up some sort of big data job. Like I kind of hate it. I actually, I'm like dragging my feet on an analysis at work because the first one I did, I, I had this like pair of modeling, like simple modeling tasks to do. And one of them was with like, I don't know, like a hundred thousand data points. And I was like, yeah. And I like got it going, got the like daily job running and I was all excited. And then the other one's like with 20 million data points. And I'm just like, Ugh. I don't wanna, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that'll like fit on my memory. And I just, yeah gonna take a long time for the model to run yeah yeah that's funny uh, what can you do it's literally <laughs> nothing there's nothing i can do i uh, actually when i was talking about that so jeff leak came out with this uh company yes um and i so i haven't read the blog post yet but i'm sort of i was intrigued by i mean we should discuss like i think you'll probably have a lot more detail about what the company is doing and then also there was sort of an interesting premise of like it's problem forward not solution backward um and i i wanted to dive into that more at some point so now i'm going to take advantage of you probably understanding the argument yeah yeah what question? Well, what, what what do you want to understand? Like, what does that mean? I guess I think of myself as a solution backward person, so I'm like, what's this problem forward thing? Like, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't think it's it's not like super, you know, cryptic. It's just like, you know, I think there's a lot. There's a tendency, for example, in st in statistics, but also elsewhere, to say like I have a technique that I'm an expert in. I see. And yeah. I'm going to find a way to use it for every problem, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, rather than say, here's a problem, here's a question we're trying to answer, like, what is the best approach to answer this question? Right. Okay. Right. No, I'm totally on board with yeah. that. That like, makes I, more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So th you, that's what you do, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely, I mean, that's, and I feel I'm like proud of the fact that I 
try to do that. And I feel like that's like an Achilles heel for the field in general. Right. So in a way, it's kind of like, I feel like that's actually kind of how most people think. It's only like academics (laughs) who like dedicate their career to like developing one method who kind of have that kind of perspective, I think. I disagree. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe not only academics, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's just like, it's, I don't know. I was, I was preparing a talk recently where I was thinking about this, like, I mean, and without, I, we've talked about this on the podcast before of like, there's kind of like the fun of data science and that's obviously different for different people, but it seems like for a lot of people, part of the fun is like learning some fancy method and being able to talk about it. And that's what's emphasized in conferences, whatever. So I think it's much broader than just statisticians. Like, I think it's an issue with the field in general. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so when I first heard the like problem forward, not solution backwards, I kind of had it flipped. Cause I was like, I was thinking of like business solution. It's like, what are you trying? What's like the solution you want to see? You want to see recommendations for clothes or, you know, like, right. And it's like, okay, so how do I get there? But right. that, I guess that's like, you could also call that like the problem. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like, we don't know how to create recommendations for clothes. So how would we do it? Right. <laughs> that's like more of like a design kind of design thinking approach where you like figure out what it is that you want and you kind of work backwards i think right right yeah yeah but so so why don't you tell more about the company well so the company is um it's uh it's you know set up uh, right by the school of public health here which you know is in east baltimore um and they're in like an incubator space here which is kind of cool um and they're uh you know they're kind of like a uh data science you know typical data science kind of consultancy um and they but they also employ kind of uh, uh a lot of people fr- just coming from the area uh, so it's coupled with the training program so uh, we have a separate tra- like a training program here that's that's uh, like a like a data science on chromebooks kind of training program oh right yeah and um and so people who and so he they have employed you know some of those people who fit kind of gone through that program so it's part kind of data science consultancy it's part kind of east baltimore kind of development um and so it's it's kind of it's really interesting i think that's great yeah so um yeah i mean i don't know i'm not i mean <laughs> that's as far as i know I, I i guess maybe i should say that like i've done a little bit of work for that for for this company but i'm not like a a member or any or a you know i an owner or anything a founder yeah well that's great i mean that sounds really cool yeah i know jeff's been focused on like you said he's had the like data science chromebook data science thing which presumably is all about doing data science on Chromebooks. <laughs> yes, and or more generally in the cloud. Yeah, right, right. No, that's great. Yeah, I mean, East Baltimore is definitely a depressed area. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah. But the connection, you know, the kind of, with the, having the university nearby, and uh, I think um, is is a plus. And so um, there's a lot of resources to tap into. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. So it's problem forward, right? Yes. I'll put the URL in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, wait. We still have to discuss getting to Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, I was going to get there next. <laughs> yeah. So our next part of our book club. All right. So in the last episode, we mentioned that we were going to be talking about this book, Getting to Yes. Um, and here we are going to talk about it. <laughs> so um, this book, uh, I think... I, I always forget. I think it came out in the 80s. 
It's called, yeah, I think 81. It's called Getting to Yes, and it's by... Originally, I think it was by Roger Fisher and William Urey, and then later editions, they added this person, Bruce Patton. Um, and uh, it was a very popular book when it first came out. I actually, I think I read it like in the 90s, I think when I was in college. Um, and I honestly, I didn't really think much of it. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, I just, Interesting. I, I think it seemed a little bit more abstract at the time, because like, you know, what was I negotiating? What was I trying to do, you know? But... um. So I, but I kind of remembered it, and then, and have kind of gone back to it once or twice since then. Um, and um, if you're kind of like, if you haven't read the book yet, or and uh, or like are thinking about it, I would say I think from the perspective that we're going to talk about it, like the first two parts are most relevant. I think. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I'm glad you said that because I was losing steam for the last part. Yeah, I think the, <laughs> the last parts felt yeah more like esoteric or not part of our workflow at all. Yeah. So I, the reason I wanted to talk about this book is I feel like, well, so the book's about negotiation and kind of how to do it well. And um, I feel like, well, negotiation is, it's obviously an important skill generally in life. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about. I, I, I feel like um, in data analysis specifically, um, there's, an, there's a certain amount of negotiation that you have to do to be a successful data analyst. And I think I thought, and thought that was the kind of thing that I, that I wanted to talk about specifically. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I have to say, I thought it was genius of you to bring it up because in reading it, I was like, this is great. Like, I love it. And it's exactly, I felt like it gave a lot of articulation to themes we've circled around. And I see it as like a very good complement to the design thinking. Like, I, I would go so far as to say that anytime you have a consulting situation, it's in some ways a negotiation. Yeah, I mean, in all ways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think if there's like a common link between maybe the design thinking stuff and the negotiation stuff, I think the the key thing is there. It, it seems obvious in retrospect, but what it comes down to is that data analysis is done by people, um, right. and data analysis is done for people, uh, mm-hmm. and because there's people involved, here we are, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and what I like about this is that in some ways the design thinking like hand waves the like negotiation aspect to a degree like they emphasize empathy a lot and they've articulated kind of the design like what's going on in your head and like the appositional thinking and everything like that but it's still like that that initial conversation and how to have it like there's definitely more airtime in the design world about the fact that that's a really critical moment and that framing the problem is part of the solution and all of that. Um, but still like the very human aspect of it was missing. And so I felt like this, like, I really liked that this uh, gave a lot of like articulation to that. Well, I think this book you know, directly confronts it basically, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And like creates the framework, like the position, instead of doing positional bargaining, you do... Pro- what, what was it actually called? Well, well let's, let's let's jump ahead. You're jumping ahead. Okay, so, jumping ahead. Uh, the, the main thing I want... So I think... Um, actually, if I may extend our sports discussion for just a little bit longer. Uh, I feel like, you know, in the sense that... If, in the simplest situation where it's like there's a... It's kind of like there's two, if there's two players. Um, the advantage of sports is that everyone knows what the rules are. That um, everyone knows kind of... They may not like them, but they everyone has an agreement over what the rules of the game are. And I think, in my opinion, and you may differ, but like I feel like a lot of what has to be negotiated in data analysis is essentially the rules of the game, like um, like what does it mean? Like not not like (laughs) what are the rules of linear regression? That's not what I'm talking about. Like, but more Mm -hmm. like 
what is it going to like what is a success what is a successful outcome um what is what what is a good data analysis what is it that we're looking for Th- you know these kinds of things right right and i do i think that i've always i had someone once explain matrix management to me and i i just love that because it was this idea of like you kind of have your verticals that are focused on moving product forward or whatever and then you have these like horizontal structures that are like the analysts or the designers or whatever and like fundamentally at that intersection there will be conflict like because you're motivated by different outcomes and so what I liked about this was that it was like, oh, if you just think of that as a negotiation, then it's like, yes, like the analyst has like their dedication to the truth or whatever. Um, and sort of like, and that's where kind of the the Hippocratic Oath for data scientists or whatever comes in where it's like, okay, we all agree that we care about the truth and that's what we want to push forward ultimately. And then the product people are like wanting to push things forward. And obviously they care about what the truth is, but like, you know, there's just differing there's different goals between those two people. And yeah. And like, not to say, I mean, I feel like I also have been arguing for like data people being very involved in product development, but I've also felt like maybe I need different analysts analyzing my results because I'm like very biased and that I want my stuff to move forward. Right. Um, yeah. So. So I think what, when you, when you say that people have different goals, I feel like that's kind of what the book refers to as different is as interests. Um, exactly. So yeah. you you have to separate um, kind of people's interests from their positions, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And so I so um, I think I could think of like kind of three general situations when like negotiation needs to occur in data analysis. So maybe you can add. I don't know. But one is like you have to argue that analysis is needed in the first place. I guess. Um, yeah. Or, or, or like data analysis is needed. I mean, I think, so that's potentially one. Uh, one is determining the basis for success. Um, and the other is, you know, you know getting people to, to accept a kind of unexpected or bad news, I guess. Yeah, um, I agree. And well, but also even, but even good news, like, okay. Like one way that I can think of the negotiation coming in that I discussed, again, I kind of prepared this internal talk for a company. And um, it was like the, like if you're working, I I think of the people in finance because the Excel sheets the people from the financial world create are like cryptic to me. Like there's like just a huge sheet of numbers. There's all sorts of pages. The things are highlighted. There's parentheses involved. Like it, it's just like, it's not how I'm used to seeing things. And so I have, I mean, I just have a a version to it just because it's not how I was trained at all. Um, so I don't find it intuitive, but like if I'm doing a data analysis for someone from that field, like in order for it to be successful, I really should be fitting that paradigm or do, doing something maybe slightly different, but not hugely different. Um, like, so I shouldn't have some sort of like, you know, dashboard with like visual interactive visualization or whatever, you know, that's just not, that person will be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> right, right. So there's kind of even a, neg- I mean, I guess maybe that's what you're saying. Like, what does success look like to some degree? But I would say even just like a negotiation of uh, like understanding. I don't, yeah, some, I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but a negotiation of what will even be kind of acceptable presentation. Or yeah, like what the deliverable. Yeah, a negotiation of kind of the deliverable like appearance yeah yeah 
And I think, you know, I think part of the problem is that there isn't like a universal set of those things, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that occurs in everyday analysis, you know, that we, we can just like agree is always the case, right? Um, no, yeah. There will be maybe in some fields, like in the financial field, I think, you know, having spreadsheets like this is almost universal. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if you kind of like have found yourself in a niche um, and then where it's like things are standardized or whatever, the, yeah, then we can all kind of, then everyone might understand what the rules are. But in general, it's hard, like these things have to be kind of negotiated on a case-wise basis. Yeah. Although I would say even, I remember making this argument a long time ago before I'd sunk my teeth into you know, what we've been talking about here, but it's like, you know, it, even like for a field, there might be informal stuff like, a like journals in general, like tend to publish things analyzed this way, or, you know, especially within like the public health setting. I remember there's just like these certain like demographic tables that everyone makes. Like it's, I don't know, like even if it's almost every application will have some version of like what the person's used to seeing and probably correlated with their training to some degree. Right. So uh, one of the things that I thought was... Oh, wait, actually, before you're done with that, I have another moment of negotiation. Go for it. Which is that I also think that ultimately, it's like, I feel like for the analysis, you're negotiating the facts, like that will then be used for another negotiation, which is what to do now that we have these facts. So uh, when you say you're saying what are what what are the kind of objective things that we can agree on? Yeah, exactly. It's like okay, so you have an experiment at a tech company, you get the results. There's going to be a lot of negotiation of those results, and people might be negotiating with like interests that are like you know they might not be playing fair, which I think that they talk about in the book, where it's like. They act like they're negotiating about the results, but it's actually because they're thinking of the next step, which is that, well, if we accept this as the fact, then the obvious conclusion from the second negotiation of what to do is going to be not to do the thing I want. Right. So, yeah, like I know that I need to negotiate harder on the facts and then, but yeah, so like the secondary negotiation, which the analysts may or may not even be involved in is like what to do next. Right. Like what decision gets made or... What, right. Yeah. yeah, and that's like the conversation that I like force myself into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so let me just clarify. Are you saying that like there's a there's a negotiation over where like whether this difference is five? Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. Because mm-hmm. it's like because it, that's where all the pedantry around like, well, did you run? Did you take into account this or that or like did you control for this? Blah blah blah. Like those are people essentially casting doubt on the fact. Like right. And it's like, and that is possible because there's there's uncertainty associated with the fact. Right. It's like, we think this is the fact with this certainty. Right. And yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that it's um, it's difficult to kind of negotiate up front um, because people don't always think of everything, right? Oh, totally. And like, yeah. you, like you know, I think the, in the academic world, there's a lot of talk about like pre-specification, right? Uh, where you... You write down your protocol, you say how you're going to analyze the data, and then you just do it, right? Um, and uh, e- even then, it's like you don't think of everything, right? So um, it's, uh, I think that's, that's a very hard thing to kind of settle because like someone, it's always easy to say, oh, well, there's just one more analysis that you could have done, right? And, um, and, then, and then, it, then it's like a back and forth. Totally. Yeah. No, that's exactly 
I think that's exactly it. Like, and you, and I think where people get really stuck is when, like, I, I feel like this question comes up a lot of like, well, what do you do when people keep coming to you with feature requests or like things for your analysis? And that's where it's like, yeah, I mean, the reason that's happening, the reason it sucks is because it's happening because that person isn't being upfront necessarily about what they want, um, which is they want this like secondary decision to go a different way. And then, and that's where you really need to like extract yourself and be like, Bleh, like, well, right. okay. So, so I, first of all, I'm glad you brought this up because I actually think this is like the most important <laughs> reason. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, um, but it does, so it, but it gets into this idea of like, you know, there's kind of what people want and then there's what people need. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, I think one of the things that struck me as I read through the book is that, I've, you know, it kind of takes a stance that like negotiation is, you know, it's very personal. Um, and it's, and it should be about kind of getting what you want. Um, whereas I feel like many people will kind of approach it as like a matter of establishing what's right and what's wrong. Um, and, um, but the problem with like phrase again is like, you know, it's about getting what you want is that you have to know what you want. Right. Right. Uh, (laughs) and a lot of people in my experience do not know that. Um, well, but I think, don't you think they know what they want in that next step? Like they want to publish a paper or they want their product to be successful or, you know, like I feel like people generally know what they want longer term, but they don't know how, like they don't know what they want for the analysis, but they know they want, <laughs> they know they want this secondary thing to happen after it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say that's true. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But um Anyway, but that that was just an observation. I just feel like it's like it's. I feel like there's a lot of it's like because I feel like the whole book is like they, they don't make any commentary about like what's right and wrong. You know, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. about what do you want and what do they want, right? Right. Yeah. I think even at some point they explicitly say like this. You know, you want to think that this is about the truth or like data or like facts, but that actually is a pretty minor role in what's actually going on. And I think that was. I like that quote a lot. Right. Yeah. And I think when it, you know, it's a, this is, I think there's an idea that like, you know, the, the, the data themselves don't really have any intr- intrinsic meaning, right? Like it, it's the people that bring the meaning to the data. Right. And so to the extent that people have different senses of what the data mean, that's where the conflict arises. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, I actually, I, I like this framing because I think that, like your point about people don't know what they want. It's like, this gets back to the design spec of like, what they actually want is for you to even frame the problem and create the solution that makes the next steps obvious and favorable to them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But they're going to come to you with like all sorts of details and that's where it's like positional. Like you have to get out of the positional bargaining. Right. And I feel like the, so the idea like, I was going to well, what are like, what's a position in, so what's like positional bargaining and data analysis? Um, oh, like yeah, I think like when someone asks for a number. Yeah, or like or like bargaining. a like a, like p less than point oh five or something, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I feel like that one happens less in the tech field versus someone emailing you and be like, "Can you send me the number of people who like subscribed to Stitch Fix after August 2019 or something?" Well, 2018. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was gonna say that's a. <laughs> If yeah, you could do that, you'd be zero. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, yeah, like people come to you with a position, and so you have to like 
Yeah, like you have to get out of that absolutely as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, yeah. I, what, I, was, what, what was the name of like their paradigm? It was like problem focused or something? I think it was, it was called principled negotiation. Oh, yeah, principled negotiation. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I think like, you know, I think I feel like the, the, the general, if I were to kind of come up with the general issue of positional bargaining in, in data analysis, it's like usually this, someone says, I, I need this thing t- to be the truth, basically. <laughs> like, I need to show that this experiment generated additional revenue or this result is significant or whatever. And then, so that's one position. And I think the analyst position uh, is basically that the data say this other thing, Right. Right. Yeah. And so how do you reconcile that? Yeah. No, I think, yeah. Like, and then that's where you're even zooming out farther and being like, well, okay, you like, instead of it, like, instead of wanting it to be this thing was successful, what you actually want as a human is to be successful in your job and successful, like, you know, making your bosses look good or making your company more, you want your stock price to go up, whatever. And so that's where the analyst, that's where thinking bigger for the analyst is helpful because then you can go to them and be like, well, what if we did a fast follow to this experiment where we tried this other thing? Because to me, the data is suggesting that, this was where customers got caught in the conversion flow or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, and then it's like that person's like, oh, yeah, you're right, because I really, like, like the reason I'm invested in this is just because I want, like, to be successful in my job. <laughs> right, and I think, so I think, like, you know, for the analysts to have to kind of suss out the underlying kind of interests, um, it's not well. First of all, it's not something we ever talk about, <laughs> right? In uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, in yeah. training is you know, uh, but I think it's critical. I think you know because um, otherwise, it becomes this kind of um, you, you you end up at a standstill essentially. Yeah. Gosh, I had this book. I'm trying to see it on my bookshelf here, but um, I bought a book that I read about half of, which is par for the course for me but it was about like how designers need to operate within a company um and it was like laying out like here's what motivates the ceo and here's what motivates the product manager and so here's how to like talk to this person and i thought that was super interesting and i think this is helping me kind of connect the dots as to why because i think that it helps you with that kind of principled negotiation because understanding how they're motivated. I mean, even like looking at the org chart and just understanding, understanding who the person's reporting to, like that's something we never talk about like, yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, I, and I noticed like one of the collaborators uh, that I work with, who's a product manager and went to business school, Allison, she is so good at like always zooming out and being like, here's the players, here's what they want. Here's what, you know, that person's boss wants. And so kind of like, here's what's motivating them. Like, she's very good at extracting personal, like, I bet she like learned this in business school. (laughs) 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 And so, and I'm I'm always like learning from her in that regard of like, I mean, in lots of regards, but in this regard too, of like, you know, trying to, I, I definitely, one of my Achilles heel for sure is like, like getting into the personal, which is. I mean, like zoom out even more. I mean, that's part of why I've been so like, I feel like I've benefited so much from meditation because like the whole, you know, like what I loved about this was that they focused so much on like ego and everything that goes on and, you know, like 
what was it? Um, gosh, there was this whole discussion of like, you know, they're humans, they're going to get upset. Right. And like, yeah. also you're a human and you have your biases and whatever. And so the only way that I have found myself, like I understood that stuff in theory, but the only way that I've actually been able to like execute on not getting my ego involved is like this kind of like drastic. <laughs> like the whole point of meditation is to like, at least like for Zen, you know, Buddhism is like kind of, essentially like I don't want to say removing your ego because that's like too simplistic but it's like you learn you kind of learn to like take care of yourself and then that opens a reservoir for being able to take care of other people well there is an issue of like how do you execute these strategies because I think some of them are easy to understand but perhaps difficult to actually put into practice Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, so like the first principle is you know separate the people from the problem right and it's I think if you read it too quickly it might look like just focus on the problem don't worry about the people but that's not what they're saying like they're saying you have to address both things but you have to address the people and the problem but you have to do it separately um and so like you can't confound the people with the problems otherwise everything kind of gets rolled in to one right and then it's like do you like why does this person hate me like right yeah they? yeah and it's just like no they don't hate you at all like that's not right. what's going on <laughs> i mean maybe they do but <laughs> yeah so but like i think so i think that idea is like it's kind of easy to understand in the abstract but it's like it's it's quite i imagine for a lot of people it's quite hard to do to separate I, people from- i mean i found it basically impossible like i i've thought about this a lot in terms of you get the advice if you're like a highly sensitive you know kind of like, I don't want to say like highly sensitive, like it's some genetic trait, although I don't know, maybe it is whatever, (laughs) but like, I was like a total firecracker, you know, it's just like, if you like poke me in the wrong way, it was like, bah, like, why do you hate me? And, you know, and so like, you know, there, there's like certain things you can do via like self-help or training or therapy or whatever. But Ultimately, I found that none of that, that was interesting for being like, yes, now I understand theoretically what's going on, but none of that actually helped me execute on it, like, in a, in a timely manner. Like, it'd be like two days later, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, now I get what's going on, but it's like, by then it's too late, and like, right, yeah, yeah. But, so that's why I'm like so gung-ho on meditation, because it was like the first time that I was like, wow, my reaction time for like being able to see the other person's perspective is going down. Right. Like, I can do it faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I mean, it's basically impossible. I mean, yeah. Like, no, reading a book and seeing one line that's, like, insightful will not get you there. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be, like, years and years of work, yes. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bad news, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so worth it. That's the thing. It's, like, it's, like optimizing like learning more methods is not going to get you the gains that like doing personal emotional development will get you in order to like be a successful data scientist right that's sort of the message i've been trying to get out (laughs) one of the things i found uh you know is you know for certain people that i work with is that like you know, I sometimes not all not all, not often, but like they'll just say like we need a result. I mean, they'll essentially say we need a significant result, right? Yeah. Um, but I found that like even regardless of what the result ends up being, whether it's quote unquote good or bad, um, I found that like what really I think they often forget about that. If mm-hmm. I can explain to them like why things are happening, yeah, you know, and yeah. I think uh, or or give them some sort of insight as to like how the result came to be. 
um, whether it's like a picture or, or whatever, you know. And um, I feel like if I can if I can find a way to do that, they they often don't forget. They often like forget about well, what was the ultimate result was significant or not. And, and and partly because I feel like if you can show them how things work or what the mechanism is, that often just spurs more questions, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Like the next steps become clear then. Right. Because now it's like, oh, what do I, how do I address that thing that happened that made the result I want not happen? Right. Yeah. So rather than focus on this like disappointment or even good news or whatever, you know, it's like uh, you just you, you keep moving forward is what it comes down to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Humans just need, you know, it's like a shark. You got to keep swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Was that an Andy Hall reference? <laughs> oh, is it? I don't even know problem that was actually my zen that was a zen reference oh really <laughs> okay maybe it's like how yeah like people like especially kind of like type a like people who are just like always task hamsters it's like 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 you think you're gonna die if you stop swimming right right like, you can actually stop swimming and like you won't die <laughs> <laughs> are you sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> not totally i haven't i haven't gotten there yet but yeah. <laughs> that's totally my achilles heel it's like just like project person <laughs> i think for most people listening that's probably it yeah. like, you don't listen to a podcast about work in your free time unless you like keeping yourself busy right <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a that's a yeah that's a good insight there <laughs> that's it and i say that with love and compassion and you know solidarity <laughs> and a total understanding of what they're going through I, that was like, oh man, now I'm just like rambling. But like when people, I may have said this on here before, but when people, people would come up to me and be like, how do I do Twitter? Like I need to do Twitter more. And I'm like, uh, by the end, I'm just like, well, okay, how to like develop a crippling workaholic addiction? Like, right. <laughs> like that, that's the only way people keep it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like I have free time. Let me like figure out a way to, you know, think about Keep working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, this is an aside. Um, so. You know, in, actually, in the in the one of the sections of the book, I can't remember which one. They actually say that you should put the problem before the solution, um, and uh, which, as we were just discussing, um, is you know, it's, I think it's to kind of not focus on. I know what the solution needs to be. You just need to implement it. Um, yeah. Right. And, yeah, uh, like that. That's like positional. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I like you know, and I think there's a. You know, I think some people see that as like, let's just cut to the chase, you know. Uh, let's not do this, you know, tiresome exercise of like trying to solve the problem from the beginning. Uh, but often it's, I think, not super valuable. That's That, that only works, if, again, if you're kind of like in a situation where I feel like you're in a very narrow situation and everyone understands what's happening and everyone understands like what the approaches are and like, and you just kind of like, then you can kind of jump to the end. But that's not like a common situation, I think. No, yeah, and it's like it. It's it ends up the other person ends up showing their hand. Like that kind, of, they kind of talk about that in the book of like don't show your position early because that's gonna delay things. And so if if you're working with someone who can't, who's like let's just cut to the chase, that's someone who isn't gonna be very open to negotiation. And so you're like, oh okay, like how do I deal with this? Like they don't realize that they're making things slower. Right. So I think in, yeah. but, so it's interesting. I think in that kind of situation, so I wonder what you think about, suppose you're in a situation like that and you don't necessarily have a lot of control. Um, and so like, so what do you do as a data analyst? I think, I feel like there's a knee jerk. Many people have a knee jerk reaction to kind of fight. Um, 
Oh, yeah. But the, the question like, that you should... Well, it's like fight or flight. Well, yeah, I think the question that... Uh, I mean, if the book is, you know, from what I understand of the book, the question that you should be asking is, what do I want out of this, right? And, like, what are my interests here? And um, and I feel like there could be situations where your interest is to just give them what they're telling you. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah like... I, I mean, yeah, that's that's hard that's where it's like the hardest because i it's certainly for me like super defensive reaction when someone comes in and like says like i want this you know and like i was just dealing with that yesterday where i was like oh i don't know if i approach that like i definitely got defensive and i was like you know i i'm sort of like the fight not the flight person you know so i'm like 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 digging my heels in more and being like no 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 but you're wrong and this is actually what makes sense and and it was super frustrating because i was like man if you would just stop and listen to me you would see that i am actually telling you like that you will get your result faster if you do what i'm saying like like like, yeah it was very positional bargaining situation (laughs) and so it was um yeah and so i don't know but like like being able to like maybe the defensive reaction arises in you but being able to like respond to that rather than react and be like okay being defensive back is like it's all over you know then you're just in a fight and so yeah but i agree like i mean maybe the conclusion ultimately is that this is a person that i don't want to collaborate with yeah and and then like and then your interest is to kind of get through it quickly and then not have to worry and not deal with them ever again or something yeah um as long but then that's where you're kind of hippocratic of like that you you can't like sacrifice the truth no if there's going to be like a huge aspect yeah I, exactly I, I wouldn't say but i feel like there's many it's not often that someone tells you to, to, to like sacrifice the truth right i think i feel like it's more often that they say like well, for example, you know, I often get into a situation where people are like, you know, everyone in the field uses this model, so we need you to use this model, you know. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's not like it's wrong, <laughs> right? But it's like maybe not ideal or, you know, or whatever. There's like a variety of reasons that kind of between right and wrong, right? And so uh, the question is like, do I push back on that? Do I, you know, what, you know, what, what am I trying to achieve here? And it's one of those things where it's like, we're going to be in a long-term relationship together. So like, I can't have this happen every single time. Then it's like, okay, that's a different story as opposed to like, this is a one-off and I'm probably never going to talk to these people again. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And you can tr- control that. And, yeah. If I can, here. yeah, I can control that. And so um, then it's like, I think there's a, I think there's a tendency for, especially maybe for statisticians to be presented with something and then immediately evaluate whether it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, there is a place for that. But I think uh, in many data analytic situations, you, you also have to ask yourself, like, what do they want? What do I want? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, whether something can be agreed upon there that's still right, but, um, you know, or it's still appropriate, I should say, for, you know, for the problem, but that kind of satisfies, you know, both sides. Yeah, that's where, man, we should definitely do a book club on the Creative Curve book. Like, that book was great. And it's, I feel like I see applications of it popping up all the time. But the idea with it is that essentially trends kind of have this bell-shaped curve where at first it's this fringe interest and then you like kind of go up, like the peak of the curve is sort of the point of cliche of like, you know, something that's like popular and maybe the fringe people are now like, ugh, that's, you know, you can imagine that happens all the time in fashion, right? Um, And then it like kind of like tails off to like, okay, now this is passe and like even average people are like, nah, I don't want that anymore. Like, 
cold shoulder tops or something. <laughs> I, get I don't it. even know what you're talking about, but okay. Oh, <laughs> it's like, well, anyway, it's like tops where the shoulder is showing. And like, I had someone at Stitch Fix once be like, like bash cold shoulder stops, tops. And I was like wearing one. Oh, I was just ouch. like, oh, it was another data scientist. So I was just like, oh, she just doesn't know. It's like, it's like, <laughs> anyway. People, I don't know. Anyway, that's another, that's another story. But, um. <laughs> So, like, with this, I've thought about this a lot with data science where it's, like, you know, the point of cliche is probably what the average, like, when someone's coming to you and asking for a model, it's, like, the cliche model. Ah, yeah, good point, yeah. Yeah, and so you can kind of move up a little bit. Like, the sweet spot they're saying is, like, you can't be fringe and you can't be point of cliche. You have to be, like, a little bit above it. So, like, I don't know, like, half a standard deviation to one standard deviation above (laughs) where in the curve. And so, like... Yeah, like you can you can make a little tweak on the model, but you can't um, you can't necessarily just like do the fringe thing, and or like what they'll perceive as the fringe thing. Right. Yeah, and like even I was just reading a thing about a fashion designer for Louis Vuitton, one of the directors or whatever, um, who was like he had like a three percent rule. He was like, you can take an existing design and change it three percent, it's a new design. And I was like, oh. That's like creative curve <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. And so, although maybe more than 3%, I don't know. But <laughs> I guess when you do like a whole new collection, it's more than 3%. But like doing a new design within a collection is 3%. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's all really interesting. But I so I, I guess what I am saying with that whole rambly side thing is just that I think that as the statistician, you also do need to be open to the fact that maybe you are like overwhelming the person you're working with. Yeah. 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 So homework for Roger. <laughs> Don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make one more comment about the book, um, which is actually not related to what we're talking about. I think I actually think the most famous chapter from the book is chapter six, uh, which is titled What If They're More Powerful? And it develops this concept of the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, or the BATNA, um, which I didn't think like really applied here. Um, but it, the, the the gist of the chapter is basically like, where does power come from? Um, and that power doesn't come from resources; it comes from alternatives, um, or it comes from having alternatives. And yeah. so, um, so smart, yeah. So, and anyway, so I, I actually think that, like, I think that's something that's just kind of in the popular literature now. That the whole this whole idea of having a best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Um, and so, um, I, I encourage people to read that chapter. It's a super interesting chapter, and it I, I think it kind of like changed the way I think about a lot of things. Because um, I think it's it's common to think that well, this person has a lot of resources, so they're like oh, this company is huge, and so they must be super powerful. Um, but if you're like an engineer that has a unique set of skills and you have a ton of other places that you can work, then you're more powerful than they are, you know? Yeah. And so that's super. Yeah. I really like that's yeah. I obviously did not get to that chapter. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like, that's important for like the kind of general negotiation in life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't, I didn't see it playing a role in like in terms of like data analysis. <laughs> oh yeah. So. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I kind of agree. I, that just really reminds me. I remember in college I read, uh, I took like a sociology one-on-one class and, um, we did a lot of like the second shift or kind of like feminist literature. Um, and in one of the books, I don't remember which one they talked about the fact that they were sending welfare checks to the man of the house. Uh-huh. And then when they started sending them to the woman of the house, like divorces like went way up because uh, okay. <laughs> all of a sudden women could like, you know, like 
controlled the pocketbook more and it was just it was super interesting so they had an alternative yeah they had an alternative all of a sudden that they didn't have before and they're like why am i with this guy like yeah it was interesting (laughs) so all right yeah so uh any any final thoughts not really i think that was about it so cool